We ask you to open your word to us now, powerfully, mightily, wonderfully. Uh, give us ears to hear all that you're saying to the church in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, Paul is giving his last letter. After this would be written, um, he would be killed there in Rome. He knew it. He knew this was his last letter. He says it's time, getting poured out as a drink offering. This is over. He's bothered by the fact that Timothy um, is not walking as the Christian he should walk. Matter of fact, he makes it uh, abundantly clear that Timothy was ashamed of Paul uh, being in prison. And, and as all those now in Asia, which is the bulk of Christianity at that time, had, along with a, a group of people, believed Paul to, to be in the wrong. And that's why he is in prison. Because God shut him up and put him in prison. And here we are, the true teachers out and about, uh, going to church to church teaching, and we're doing wonderful. Uh, Paul isn't because he's wrong. Timothy, I don't think, stood up for Paul. I don't think he necessarily bashed him, but he didn't stand up for him. And some really strong, close, close friends of Paul had now been persuaded. Um, people that traveled all the way to Rome and sought Paul out now um, are not supporting him at all. We're going to get to the into this book, and he says, actually, even all those that normally are with me around at the prison and usually are with me in the courtroom, not one. But the Lord was there. That was it. And Paul keeps saying, may the Lord have mercy on them. May the Lord uh, not hold it against them uh, on that day of judgment. And he uh, in this chapter, he, he said, Timothy, be strong in the grace. Get a group of guys around you and just start pouring into them. Everything that I've said to you, things you, you've heard when you heard me teaching in the various churches or preaching, take those things and, and put them into the hearts of these guys, the gospel of grace. Teach them to be strong in the grace and then he said in verse 7, a powerful verse, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in everything. In other words, if you understand the analogy of, and he gives three guys, the, the soldier who doesn't entangle himself the affairs of everyday life, the athlete who runs according to the rules, and the hardworking farmer. That farmer, he says, needs to eat first of his crops. He, he should enjoy the spoils above everybody. And uh, he said, if you meditate on this, you're, you're going to get the concept of the Christian life. So be strong in the grace. You got to know the grace. Live in the grace. Grace saved us. Grace gave us our first step. It's in grace, our second step. Um, it's an amazing grace that one day we'll sing about in heaven for all of eternity. It's grace to grace, right? Uh, of Jesus, of his fullness, we've all received. Grace upon grace. But once you are living in that grace and you're living in God's pleasure and enjoying his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness, his patience, now your heart should come to be this soldier, this athlete, this farmer, 
these people that, that are just completely sold out, dedicated, focused on uh, their mission. And uh, they're successful because of a, a very specific way of living and thinking. And he goes on to, to say, and it's because I'm preaching the gospel of Christ, I suffer. And then he says, I'm going to give you a faithful saying. And, and so we pick up tonight here in verse 11. This is a faithful saying, a trustworthy statement. Paul says this five times. They're all found in the pastoral epistles in First and Second Timothy and Titus. It appears that he is going to say something that they already know. So it's some kind of commonly known creed, maybe, of the early church, something that was a poem or maybe a hymn or some kind of song they sung that, that gave the, the dimensions of God's faithfulness, but yet our obedience and the two working together, um, not one or the other. And so he, he says here, for if we died with him, it's just two stanzas, really. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Verse 11 through 13. So let's break this down. If, he says, if we really died with him, then it's, it's a certain thing. We're, we're going to live with him. Now, we see here the, the tension between the two. If the one is really true about you, then we are confident that the other is going to be true about you. Jesus repeatedly said, if you want to follow me, you must first, what? Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Jesus repeatedly said, unless you lose your life in this world, you can't gain it in the life to come, right? Um, and, and so the first step of Christianity is to say, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about that. And Christ is saying, I don't need you to. I did it all on the cross. And on the cross, I'm giving you, I'm taking all your sins upon myself and giving you that righteousness and it's a done deal. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's not on our list here, but uh, in, in uh, Hebrews 10, 14, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those through whom he is now sanctifying. He already has perfected. So if you've died with him, you've given your life in total surrender and held nothing back, um, that's it. That's it. We, we, we see that surrender. I can't explain it to you, but there is a person who says, I'm a sinner. I, I, I can't believe I didn't see what a sinner I was. A wretched man that I am. I get it. I see it. And I can't fix it. I'm not in harmony with God. I'm not in harmony with man. I, and the guilt of my sin is, is crushing me. And the gospel, the good news comes and says, that thing right there, by faith alone and the work of Christ alone, as a gift to you, 
receive it. But it's given to that person who says, I am a sinner, I need a savior. And if we reason thus, that if one died for all, then all, what? Should die for that one. And this is, this is the Christian gospel, that then I give my life to you as a living sacrifice. Every step I take, it's I'm dead to me, living <clears throat> holy to Christ. And of course, that's something we're learning how to do day by day, aren't we? And uh, we're often looked back and sort of ashamed that we hadn't died more, that Christ could live through us more. And so, we, you know, the, the, yes, we're going to live with him. This is a beautiful thing. Christ has done it. To him be the glory. We saw this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Who saved us, who called us with this holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us, before time began, before it ever actually happened, God saw it all. He saw creation. He saw the fall of man. He began to prophesy from chapter 3 that through the, the woman seed, oh, the woman didn't have a seed. Um, well, through her seed, um, Satan, the serpent, would be destroyed. And throughout the entire Bible, it's pointing, the Old Testament, like uh, B.C., our dating system, is pointing to the New Testament, the cross, and then there's those after the cross. In 2 Timothy 2.10, he tells us this. We just saw this. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may be obtained salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And, and I can tell you firsthand, and I, and I hope all of us can say this, where you're being a light, a salt, you're sharing your faith and you know people are like yeah I don't have time for that oh thanks yeah pray for me just leave me alone and and then you're you're going along and you share with somebody and they're like ah oh, tell me more I how do I get a Bible we're gonna go to church what you know and and you're just like wow and then to see this person knows nothing about God nothing about church you know I, I can remember back when I was a teenager and I was uh, sharing with this guy, he was sort of bumming across the United States. And uh, he had a job where I was working, and my boss gave him a job. And, and so I was talking to him, and, and I said, yeah, you know, it's like church. You know, this is what we teach in the church. And he's like, what do you mean? And uh, I said, church, oh, yeah, there's religions. What, what religion are you now? Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, what's Christianity? How's that different from Buddhism? I said, have you ever, and this guy's born and raised in America, okay? I said, have you ever seen a building with one of these on it? He goes, oh, yeah, 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 what is that? I, th I honestly thought that was like an electric rod, you know, so it got hit if you, you know, what are you talking about? And to share Christianity with him, never heard it, never knew it. It just dumbfounds me how such a thing could be. But somehow he had lived uh, 20 years in life and never heard it, but when I shared it, it was like, that's what I've been bumming around looking for. And to share Christ and, and, and just everything in the Bible's fresh and new. And, and uh, man, it's just, there's no greater joy. And Paul says, that's me, man. A lot of hard work, get beat up, robbed, shipwrecked. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard life going out there and 
preaching where Christ has never been preached and the demons are holding on to everybody and they own that territory and those principalities and powers and to, and to see the Lord come and touch those people and you see the elect receive Christ. They're just, wow, and it's all worth it. I don't care what I had to suffer. It was worth it. Paul would say in Romans 9 that I, I've said, God, let me go to hell <laughs> just for one Jew. Uh, one of my brethren, to, to, to hear the gospel and receive you. Of course, Paul's death can't bring life. Only Jesus is, right? So that's on one side of things, but there's another side of things. Paul says, for example, in Colossians 1, 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. And so he, he ensures their salvation there in verse 23, if they continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope. We see Paul talking about this again in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Brethren, beware lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Who is he talking to here? Beware who? Brethren, the Christians. He's talking to the believers. Even as a believer, there's a place where we can let the world and compromise and, and, and sin begin to harden our hearts. And, and he says, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Exhort one another daily. You don't want to let the night go down where the root system can start going deeper. Why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to verse 14 now. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Go back to the luck stuff, Brian. That was, that was comforting. <laughs> I, I don't want to have a doctrine of belief where my personal responsibility is at stake. I, I want a Christianity. I want a doctrine. And this is where the Calvinists are. They create this doctrine, once saved, always saved, which is not a verse in the Bible, that basically says... Um, doesn't matter what you do, how you talk, what happens, you know, five years old, vacation Bible school, you said, Jesus, come into my heart. Um, you never walked in obedience to Christ. Since that day, you know, you, you, you signed, um, you know, the insurance form. You, you may not remember it. You were five, but that's it. That's, that's all there is to it. You know, it's too bad you didn't live for Christ because you're not going to have very many rewards in heaven, but that's it. And, and I would say, No. No, that's, that's not it. That we are a free-willed agent. And if you look at Calvinism, it basically says your free will no longer matters. That God has done it and, and your life lived after receiving Christ doesn't change anything. But yet there's so many verses in the Bible that, that say no. We're free-willed agents, and we've got to receive the Lord, but then we've got to walk with the Lord. 
and Satan hasn't given up on you. <laughs> Satan still is doing what he can to take you away. It's interesting, Paul's going to talk all about this. Boy, chapter 2 is rich stuff, okay? I think we'll finish chapter 2 next week. But then he's going to get in and he's going to say, Demas, one of his close brethren who's mentioned in the other epistles, Demas has forsaken us, having loved this present world. A great sorrow in Paul's heart, one of his own team is returned back to living as a non-believer. And, and he is complete shock. And so I, I, I think it's important that we stop here and, and, and make a note that we don't need to worry about that. But the truth is the truth. The Bible said you know the truth and the truth would set you free. And so we, we are given the bow and arrow <laughs> and we take the string and we, we find there upon the election notch on the one end of that bow, there it is. It fits in very nicely. But now this dangling string will give you nothing, right? But you've got to now bend that bow. And then you take the other end and you've got to bend it and bend it. And finally you can get the other string hooked around the other end. And it's that tension now that will cause the arrow to work. And in the same way, if we have died with Christ, if, then there's nothing to worry about. We're going to live for him. Chuck Smith, I think, has it right. And he said, as long as I live an obedient Christian life, I am certain that I'm going to heaven. I'm certain that I'm the elect. But when I start compromising and sinning and I'm into it two or three weeks, I doubt it horribly. <laughs> and so the Calvinists say, well, you're not following the Lord anymore. You never really were saved. Okay, you could be right. The Arminius says, no, you just lost your salvation. You used to have it, but you lost it. And you say, okay, you, you could be right. It doesn't really matter though, does it? Because we're looking at the Christian living in the world walking in disobedience to Christ. And we all agree he either needs to get saved for the first time or he needs to reclaim his salvation that he lost. It's sort of just a semantic point because either way, the same message is going to come, repent and, and begin living an obedient Christ. Narrow is the way that leads to life and what? Fewer them who find it. So he goes on to say here in verse 11, so if we died with him, Jesus says this over and over again. In Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciple, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I affirm by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, he says, I die daily. Do, do we understand? It wasn't just we died with Christ saying, forgive me of my sins, come in and be in my life. 
No, it's I'm died and I remain dead <laughs> to my own wants, my own desires, my own plans, my own. I, I'm not this self-willed individual. Everything I say is not my will, but thy will be done. Not, not my attitude, but Christ, your attitude be seen. Christ, not my righteousness, but your righteousness. And so as we come to that place to say, I die, we remain dead. We are now a living dead sacrifice, if you would. Um, it's an, it's a, uh, not a possibility, I understand. But Paul says it, I think, best here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about our bodies. This is the treasure in our bodies, this wretched man, this sinful flesh. If there's any glory in our body, this is it. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side. Got an amen for that? Yet, not crushed. We are perplexed. True? Boy, I... I, I think man can't surprise me, and then man surprises me. I think I've seen it all, and I can give you the answer, and then I, I just, I don't know. One, is he saved? And he's going to be the prodigal coming home? Just got to wait till he gets home? Um, did he depart from us, and, and, and that's it? I, I don't know. But we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Verse 10. Always, always, continuously, right? Caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Do you, do you hear these emphatic words? Always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So let's wrap this up, he says. So death is working in us, but what? Life in you. If we died with him, then what? We also shall live with him. This is a glorious thing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12, when you see this dying, living thing happening, this has always it's been this way from the beginning. He says in, in the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you, they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's important uh, for my sake. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad uh, when I'm being reviled and persecuted and people are lying about me, saying horrible, evil things. Yeah, that, that's when you're supposed to rejoice. Be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were with you. Before you, 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 you go back and look at Moses. Dying was happening in him. That, that life could be in the children of Israel. Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, you can keep going down the list. These guys were wanting to stop and get out of it so many times, weren't they? I mean, poor old Elijah, he just gave up. He wasn't even halfway done. He gave up. 
He laid down and said, God, please, if you love me even a tiny bit, let me die. And God gave him some drink and fed him, and he goes, can I die now? And he passed out, woke back up, fed him, and he was like, I'm done with this. This is, this is discouraging. This is hard. And uh, God would say to all of them, such as Ezekiel, saying, sorry, um, you didn't sign up. I chose you, and uh, I'm the only one that can unsign you up, and I'm not. So John 14, 19 a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. What? You live also. First John says, as he is right now, presently, so are we in this world. So the life of Christ is happening through us. We are the salt. We are the light. People see our good works, and they glorify God. This dead, sinful vessel especially people that grew up with you through elementary and high school and all the teachers and especially if you weren't a believer in those years. And now they see you 10 years later and they're just like, I figured you'd be in prison by now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually leading a Bible study over here. And it's like, wow, how, how could such life happen in you? Well, first took a death. <laughs> I first had to die. And I joyfully, gladly did because I died to my sins. I, I, by faith, when Christ hung on the cross, I was with him, it says in Romans, right? And when Christ took our sins and buried him in the deepest sea, he, he took him and, and, and done away with them. I was with him. When Christ died, I also died. And then when Christ raised again, what? We raised again with Christ. Therefore, now we live in this resurrection power if we died. If we died with him, then there's life. But in our Christian culture, quickly disappearing, we can be a part of the club by just showing up, right? I remember for years, John Corson, who, who lived in Santa Barbara, he had never surfed, didn't know anything about surfing, but he bought a, a surf buggy looking thing and it just looked like it should have a surfboard on it. And, uh, and so he drove for years with a surfboard on his car and didn't surf. But he was cool and fit in and everybody thought, wow, man, this is, a, this is one of these cool Santa Barbara guys. Until they're like, hey, let's go surfing. And he's like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, I think we can do that, right? I mean, I think we can look the part and fit in and, and, and learn it, but you can't do it forever. It's eventually going to see that there's real life or there's not life. There's love when there should be anger and frustration and unforgiveness, but there's love instead. There's kindness when, why are you kind to that person? He totally wronged you. I don't know. I just... It's the love of Christ in, in me get, just gives me compassion and, and empathy. And, and I just find myself praying for them and asking God to bless them. And, well, how, where does this come from? Well, you know, I've studied it in the Bible. I don't want to say I didn't get it in my mind, but I'm telling you, it's really genuinely, this isn't an act. I really love them. I really pray hard, God bless them. I really want to see them, but they're, 
out blaspheming you and they're, they're speaking evil and they're trying to hurt you and get you fired. And what it says, I, I can't not love them. I'm sorry. It's, it's a genuine, true thing. Okay? I mean, Chuck used to always say, you can't give the measles unless you have the measles. <laughs> right? Um, and there's just a genuine thing. Just, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't mean you're a Big Mac. <laughs> just because you go to the donut shop doesn't mean you're a police officer. <laughs> There's things that we can do to, to look the part. <laughs> but, you know, when you've got to actually be a police officer and you're eating your donut doesn't mean you're going to know what to do, right? Unless you really are. Then the next part. If we endure... There it is. Endurance is a part of our Christian walk. So if you, if I, if we endure, he tells us plainly that then it's for certain we shall reign with him. We just read that in Matthew, didn't we? Where every prophet that God had throughout the Old Testament went through this persecution and it's sort of it's sort of just the way it is in this sinful world with Satan and demons and and, and them trying to uh, destroy everything that God loves you're you're going to be a target at some point if you really are uh, in God's army and, and walking with the Lord in Hebrews 10 verse 32 to 39 a rather long passage but we got to read it all to, to get it in context but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, Christianity came to you, you endured a great struggle with suffering. That was often the case because they were having to break away from Judaism or break away from uh, their vow to Caesar or break away from the, the goddess Diana. Um, it wasn't just, hey, I'm a Christian now. It's like you're no longer living in this home and you're no longer got this job and you're no longer a part of the family. Um, it, was, it, was, it, meant, it meant isolation, it meant hardship, it meant poverty for many, many, many percent of, of people in this pagan culture. But he says in verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle, both of reproaches and tribulations, partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. That's what happened when they first came to Christ. And those first few months or first couple of years, there was just a joy, even though it was just incredibly hard, great hardship. But now things have calmed down. But now in verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Now listen to verse 36. For you have need of endurance. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back perdition. That's the title for Judas. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. 
So he makes it clear here that you guys started so well and you had it about as tough as you're ever going to have it uh, in your lifetime and you did well. But now it's going on and on and there's a, and, and there's a lack of the realization that your sufferings and, and what you're going to go through and the difficulty is going to keep going on for years and years. Boy, we're going to see this with King David. You know, it wasn't the trial of Saul. It was all the various trials David had. And it didn't last a few months. It lasted decades. In the same way, he is saying, guys, yes, you, you sprinted well, but the Christian walk is much more than a sprint. You now got to realize this is, you got to die and you got to keep dying daily uh, until you get your reward. In Hebrews 12, he goes on to say to them, in verse 1 through 3, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race with what? Endurance. The race that is set before us. Now, how do I get out of this rut? How do I die in a deeper way than I've never died before? How do I continue on to the end living for Christ? We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now notice this enduring word twice. Who for the joy that was set before him, what? Endured the cross. We often forget uh, Jesus being beaten so badly and, and uh, hanging on the cross for so long. And, and of course, his entire life, it tells us from the day he was born, he was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. When people looked at him, it looked like he was smitten of God and afflicted. It's like, man, from the day that guy's born, it seems like God never gives him any blessings. That's the way it looked. But Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We're to follow Christ, right? And, and we just need to say, man, I'm suffering so much, not as much as Christ did. Man, I'm, I'm going through so much grief and sorrow. Jesus, that's all he knew because he had to be tried and tested and tempted in every way, not just for part of us, but for all of humanity. So no matter who came to him with what, he could say, I have experienced that grief. I have experienced that sorrow. I have experienced that temptation. Unusually so, Christ bearing all our sins also had to bear ahead of time all our griefs and sorrows. A man afflicted, smitten of God. He was a man who had to take on and, and go through not just the handful of different types of temptation you'll go through in your lifetime, but every type of temptation he went through, which I don't think any of us will ever do. So understand, Jesus, 100% man, he had no advantage over us, none. Don't, don't say, well, you know, Jesus had superpowers. No, he didn't. That was the whole point. He had to be 100% man. Satan said, hey, turn that rock to bread. That would have ended it. Because if he walked as God at that moment, if he, he said, okay, I'm also God in flesh and I'll be God right now instead of man, it, it was all over. 
So he couldn't call angels out of heaven to take care of that. He couldn't just do what he wanted when he wanted. Jesus says a dozen times in John, I say nothing except what the Father tells me. I do nothing unless the Father showed me to do that. Of myself, I've done nothing. So understand, the works that I did, you can do, and even greater works than these, because I go to the Father to be your intercessor. So in verse 12, he goes on to say, so if we endure, then we shall reign with him. In Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So just as Jesus raised from the dead, you're going to raise from the dead. You're not going to just go to heaven. You are all, just as Christ is at the right hand of the Father, so you also. Isn't that, isn't that weird? That it's not going to be Christ up there at the top reigning. We are all going to rule and reign with Christ. I, it's, it just sort of blows our mind. We've got to think about it to try to say, what's that going to be? John says, I don't know. <laughs> I, saw, I wrote a whole book about it. I was there. I, I still don't know what we're going to be like. I just know when we see him, we're going to be exactly like him. Not second-class citizens, not Jesus more righteous than all of us. We have the exact righteousness of Christ. And uh, all that the Father has given unto the Son, the Son has given everything the Father has given to him to us. Isn't that incredible? In Romans 8, 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Not with, but together. Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So many verses. I had to just sort of delete a bunch um, so I can keep going. But in verse 12, he says, so if we deny him, he will deny us. You're going, oh, man. It was, it was you know, challenging but comforting. And now it's just like, wham. I didn't see this coming. Christ is saying, if you deny me, I will deny you. Now, as you go on and read the rest of it, it doesn't seem to fit. Because if you go on, he says, but if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I like that verse. Verse 13 is good. I think I'm going to mark verse, uh, second part of verse 12 out of my Bible. Because uh, it's, it's just got too much teeth in it. I don't want to, to think that, that I could deny him. Well, Hebrews 2, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedient received a just reward. So, 
he, he says here that word drift away, it's like a, um, a boat that was hooked to the dock with a rope. And you basically, you pull up the boat and you don't put it to the, you don't rope it off and you get out of the boat. What's going to happen to the boat? It's just going to drift away. And so it's just a calm, slow movement, and you may not even notice it until it's out in the middle of the lake or in the middle of the ocean. And he is saying there's got to be a, an intensity, an earnestness, and taking heed to what we've heard and continuing, enduring with it unless we drift away. Again, in verse 12 and 14, we read this earlier. Beware, brethren, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exert one another daily, why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We're partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And of course, you know, as we come to the end times, this verse is more pliable than ever. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come until the falling away comes first. That Greek word apostasia, people going apostate. And the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition. So he's saying here that in particular, you're going to find a lot of Judases <laughs> that are not going to walk in the truth. Paul's going to say in a few verses that we need to study to show ourselves a workman unto God rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to be workmen rightly dividing the truth. And then the next chapter he says, because in the last days, men are going to come preaching a gospel that tickles the ears and it's going to be overwhelming. In 1 Timothy 4, he said, doctrines of demons that cause many to depart from the faith. And so there are Christians who say, I want to be a part of the club. I just don't want to die. I want to live, but I don't want to die. I want to live for Christ, but I don't want to have to endure. I want, to, I want a Christianity without the cross. I, I, I want a Christianity without suffering and pain and sacrifice. And, and it just basically is saying you don't have one without the other. You, you don't have salvation without the cross, right? You, you don't have life without death. We don't have forgiveness without blood. And we are in this world. And Jesus says, don't be of it. Be in it, but don't be of it. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow road that leads to life. And he said, there's going to be a lot of people Jesus said, more than one place, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, I am shocked that I'm not entering in. And they start saying, I did miracles. I cast out demons. I heard every sermon you preached. And Jesus says, but you did not do my will. There, there is, there's just the reality that, that of the concept, and this is what I think Paul was fighting, of saying, I've signed on the dotted line, so therefore I'm a Christian. Don't look at how I'm living. <laughs> don't look at my obedience. Don't look at my sacrifice. I, I don't want to have to give financially. I don't want to give much of my time. If I do got to give of anything, I don't want it to hurt. I, I can't let it interrupt. I can't let 
financial tithing interrupt my financial plans. I can't give up that night for Bible study because that's my bowling night and then I got my basketball night and then I got my bridge night and you know, I'd love to go to Bible study. I just, I'm so busy. So I, I want Christ. I just don't want him to interrupt my life too much. So I don't want the, I don't want the plan where I got to deny himself, take up a cross and follow him. What's the next plan? What's the B plan? What's the C plan? You know, I, I, I want to be a member. I just don't want to be a gold star member. And Jesus says, there's one way. There's one truth. There's one life. We can convince ourselves that it varies. We can convince ourselves that, you know, yes, I carry the cross every Sunday morning, then I set it down, and then I get on with my week, and, and me and Jesus have worked it out. You know, I, so I'm not a preacher because I can't tell everybody else how to live this Christian life, but I've got this very, you know, me and Jesus have a contract that not everybody else has, but believe me, he is good with it. And I just don't think it's the truth. There, there is a tension there, and it's supposed to be. And so if people are thinking that I, I can live this life where nobody at work knows I'm a Christian, I can live this life that doesn't ever offend anybody. Paul says, I'll show you the scars of my body that I preach the cross of Christ, that I preach Christ and am crucified. In the church of Galatia, they were saying, no, Paul doesn't preach that anymore. <laughs> and he said, guys, I don't care if an angel himself comes and says to you something differently than I told you. Let him be anathema. And I'm su surprised that you're so quickly leaving the truth of the gospel to another Jesus. There's two different words in Greek for another. One's another of the same kind. You're drinking coffee, and I said, you want another, which referring to fill up your coffee. But if I see you go, whoa, well, that coffee's a little bitter, then I can use another word for another, which means you want a Coke or something. And here Paul is saying, it's another, one of a different kind. It's not even the truth about Jesus, but they, they like that Jesus. Paul, the Jesus Paul preached, ah, that, that's, that's sort of bothering everybody in town. That's sort of upsetting things in Galatia. So we've done this and moved things over this way and, and it seems to be more societally acceptable. And Paul makes it abundantly clear that as he says in that book, I die, we must die. He says it repeatedly. Uh, in that book, and, and um, that there's only one gospel, that's the truth. Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 4 through 9, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and afterwards they have no more they can do to you. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, ha after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. It's referring to Jesus, right? Are, you, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten by God? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more valuable than any many sparrows. Also, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. In Revelation 3, to the angel 
uh, of the church of Sardis write, these things say to he who has seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful. Strengthen the, excuse me, um, did I, yeah. Um, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast, repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You have few names, even as Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. A Christian church. Not Calvary Chapel Red Bluff, of course, but, you know, like Chico or something, right? Um, hey, there's only a couple of people in that church that are not defiling themselves. And those couple of people are going to be in white. They're going to be so glad they didn't compare themselves amongst themselves and say, I'm as holy as everybody else. If, if, if you know, the majority of this church isn't going to heaven, well, I probably won't either, but you know, I'm sure that's not the case. And, Paul, and he's saying, no, that actually is the case. And, and he basically says, you guys are on the verge of getting your name blotted out of the book of life. Well, I don't like that doctrine. I know, this is it. I, if we deny him, he will deny us. I we are capable. And again, there, there is a doctrine that says it'll, it'll never happen. You will never do that. And I say that we 100% have our free will. Adam and Eve in the garden, no sin, completely innocent. But yet they had to have complete free will. They had to wake up every day and say, I want to walk with God and love him or obey him. Or I can talk to the devil and eat of a tree that God said, absolutely, I cannot. The day I eat of that tree, I will die. Did they fall as fertilizer under that tree after eating it? No, but they died spiritually. And they were kicked out of the garden. And so to say, there, to say well, the doctrine of salvation doesn't include me having enough free will to be able to deny him. I'd say, guys, I, I know that often we teach around the verses that I'm sharing with you tonight. But no, we are accountable for every word that we say, we're going to be accountable. To everything we do, we're going to be uh, giving account. Paul says, uh, knowing that all of us are going to give an account of ourselves before the Lord. He says, I tremble. I'm terrified of that. But I, I understand that I am going to be accountable. Every penny that went through my hands, every amount, every year that I lived, all the words that I spoke, all the opportunities to serve and not, and serve and did. And, and for some, they're going to have no reward. For others, they're going to have great reward. Well, finishing up in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In essence, he is saying, if you find yourself on the wrong end of, these, of this equation, you're in a good place because God's still there. 
man, I think I have denied him. You know, as I was meditating throughout 2 Timothy, I, I just have to bring up what happened with our, our former pastor, Gil. And a lot of people are, are still wrestling with that. But he's doubling down. You know, he's not even, even flinching in repentance. There's not even a, a moment of hesitation. He is moving full bore forward with his plan. Even, even in the world, if a guy divorces his wife, you know, in a law firm or something and marries his secretary or at a doctor's office or whatever, it's not seen as an honorable thing. And I think even amongst non-Christians, the person would lose credibility. Okay. But in, in Christ, okay, we could say, well, he's Demas that's forsaken us having loved this present world. I think that would be a kind way of saying it. <laughs> but in essence, he's denying the faith. He's denying the one way, the one truth, the one life. There's not dying that life could come. There's, I want my flesh and I want all that I want now. And I want it. I don't care the cost, the hurt to my family. I don't care the hurt to the church. I want this. And so, again... The man who pastored here 32 years, but yet denied the Lord. I, I, I think we need to, to say, Lord, <laughs> is it I? I think like David, we just need to say, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So if we are faithless, you can come back. You know, I, I don't know if you're the prodigal, but if, you're, if you can come back, if you're here tonight, your heart's pierced and you are shaking going, man, I may be that church of Sardis. I may be, my garments are filthy. Rejoice. The gospel's still good for you. <laughs> Jesus will give you 70 times seven. There's no weakness of your flesh that God can't overcome. There's no attitude of your heart that God is not stronger and more powerful. In no way am I saying you've denied him, your history, get out of here, you know, go eat, drink, and be merry because you're going to hell. There's no hope for you. That's not the message. The message is, I don't want to live delusionally. I'm on the wide road that leads to destruction, but I'm going to get the reward of the guy who's on the narrow road that leads to life. And in Deuteronomy, he actually says that. The, the, Moses says, the guy who hears the law and doesn't do it, it's like a drunkard who believes he'll be counted with the sober. You know, people that are drunk, you know, the cop says, get out of the car. It's like, sure. You've been drinking? Yeah, well, I'm not affected by it. Well, walk, you know, the guy falls down three times and like, there you go. Did that, now you know I'm not drunk. Touch your nose, you know. He's touching his head and touching the police officer's nose and, and, uh, and he's like, there, now you know. Get, get out of here, give me the ticket. I'm just gonna, you know. He, does, he believes he's gonna be counted with the sober. And so there's, there's a person who knows the will of God, knows the heart of Jesus, knows that God said, be holy as I am holy to walk even as I walk. And yet they don't do any of that, but yet they're going to be counted with the righteous. And this is a false doctrine that I fear that many Christians either consciously or subconsciously have sort of let themselves become lazy, less faithful, not fervent in spirit serving the Lord. But if 
you can hear this and say, Lord, I don't know. Am I denying you? Lord, am I not dying and that I might have life going through me to others? Search my heart, Lord. See if there be any wicked way. Lead me in the way of everlasting. You know, you're going to have the Father running at you. The only time we ever see God in a hurry in the entire Bible is that prodigal son story. And he takes the robe, he takes the ring, puts the sandals. Oh, he, he says, let's have a celebration. My son who was lost is found. My son who is dead is now alive. Paul says to the church of Sardis, it looks like you have life, but you're not fooling me. You're dead. I, you're not fooling me. You're fooling yourself, but you're not fooling me. I can see what it really is. And I'm just telling you now, it's not too late. If you repent quickly, it's not too late. Lord, we come before you tonight, Lord, as we look at these things. And, and we are all stirred, Lord. We are all pierced, God. If not for ourselves, for many that we know are not receiving the abundant life, that even if they make it to heaven by the skin of their teeth, they're not going to have great reward. They're not going to have an abundant entry into eternal life. And Lord, we just have to stop right now because we can't help anybody else walk the walk. We can't force anybody else to get back on the narrow road. We can only come before ourselves. We can only say of ourselves, Lord, am I denying myself Am I living that life of sacrifice? Am I living as that holy, acceptable sacrifice, worthy unto you? Am I walking in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of you? Lord, if there's some cutting away that needs to be done, cut, Lord. I don't care the pain, I don't care the bleeding. Lord, if there's a root system of worldliness or carnalness or greed or anger or lust or whatever it is, Lord, just cut it. I don't care how deep the roots go. I don't care if half of my body's paralyzed at the end. I don't care if the root system goes from head to toe and if you rip it out, there's gonna be a giant hole, a giant ugly scar. There's gonna be bleeding and pain. I don't care. Whatever it takes, there's only one thing that matters, to live for you. To live is to live for Christ, and to die is gain. Lord, just do it. Lord, help us. We, we hear these three, little sentence, these three little verses of this hymn, or this song, or this poem, and, and we, are, we can't just read it and understand it. We have to Truly contemplate, meditate on it. If we understand these things, we can under, have understanding in all things. We, we know that, that, that there's the, the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, and now there's the person that dies and endures, but then there's the guy that denies, and you're faithful through it all. There's no, no sin that you're not willing to, to cleanse us from and carry us from. There's no pit that your grace isn't deeper. But yet there's got to be truth in the inward most parts. Lord, am I seeing myself through your eyes as you see me truly? And if I'm not, Lord, right now, pierce me where I can't be pierced. 
Let my hard heart that's not been grieved be grieved. And Lord, if at the end of this, you say that I am one of those who, who's not walking in filthy garments and I am going to be walking in white robes with you and reign with you, that Lord, I, I would not be at peace and rest with those that you put on my heart to either begin praying for or speak to that their lives also could be seen by your grace, by the light of your word, and walk on that path that you have before us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.